What's up, church? As Pastor Eddie said, my name is Joey. I'm the student ministry director here at Grace. And the last few weeks, we've been walking through the fourth chapter of the book of 1 Thessalonians. At the beginning of the chapter, we were talking about sanctification and how it is God's will for us to be sanctified. Last week, we talked about how we have to live in awe. Right, We have to accept Christ, we have to walk in a manner according to the gospel, and we have to encourage others as we go because the day of the rapture is drawing near. Today, as I studied and as I looked at 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 1 through 11, I had six words that just kept coming to mind. Six words. And I'm not going to lie to you, church. These six words are scary. If you're a kid in the audience, you can totally relate. If you were a kid at any point in time, these six words may still send shivers down your spine. I know they do for me. Are you guys ready? These six words are wait until your father gets home. (laughs) Don't laugh. Like I said, those six words still haunt me to this day. Because in reality, the first time I heard those six words, I didn't take it seriously. I had totally messed up as a five-year-old. I remember it like it was yesterday. I asked my mom for a candy. She said, no, I took it anyways. When she found out in the car, there it was. Wait till your father gets home. And she was like Van Damme about it, like no emotion at all. And I, in my infinite wisdom as a little kid, brushed those six words off like they meant nothing. I had never experienced what's on the other side of those six words. So, yeah, right, whatever, what's dad going to do? Well, dad got home. And I got in trouble. And after that... I did everything I could to make sure I never heard those six words again. And it was only because of that first experience that I was able to look back at those six words and realize I need to live and act and behave differently because I don't want to see those again. And we do that a lot in life. Right, We look back on our past experiences and they help us to make decisions here and going forward. We even have all of these sayings to help us remember that. Right, We got hindsight is 2020. The past is to be learned from, not lived in. You've got to learn from your mistakes, man. And my favorite, those who don't learn from history are doomed to repeat it. That's how we live our life. We look at our past to inform our future, but I gotta tell you guys, biblically speaking, this chapter in 1 Thessalonians 5, it's actually telling us that we shouldn't be living like that. We shouldn't be looking at our past. We should be looking to something God has promised in the future to inform how we live right now. 
See, the passage that we're going to be looking at today is going to be talking about this event called the Day of the Lord. The Day of the Lord, this event that Paul is pointing us towards, it's a big, big deal because it is the fulfillment of God's promises. And we should be looking forward to this event and it should change the way that we live right now. Today, as we look at this event, as we look at the day of the Lord, I want you guys to pay special attention to a few things that we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about what it is, when it's happening, and what we have to do, right? We're going to be talking about what it is, when it's happening, and what we as believers are called to do. So if you have your Bibles with you, open it up to 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 1 through 11. We're going to walk through these verses and talk through all of the things that Paul has for us to know. He starts off in 1 Thessalonians 5.1 by saying, Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need for anything to be written to you. Right off the bat, he's telling you, dude, you already know. Check out what he says. He says, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Now, I want you to picture that imagery. I want you to picture what he's saying, like a thief in the night. Are you ever prepared for a thief to come and steal from your house? Usually when it happens, it's because we were caught off guard. Right? But Paul isn't just pulling this out of nowhere. Paul isn't just making this up as he goes. He's actually echoing the words of Jesus. Jesus said the very same thing in Matthew 24. We walked through Matthew 24 a few months back where we were talking about the end times. And this is absolutely a part of that. He says, for no one knows Concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. God is the only one who knows when he's coming back. And you see, there's a purpose in it. Again, God is not just picking a day. He's not just throwing a dart at a calendar to see when he's coming back. There's a purpose. This day of the Lord has meaning. And we see that fleshed out in 2 Peter 3. 2 Peter 3, verses 9 through 10 say this, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but he is patient towards you, towards believers, towards those who have yet to come to faith. Think about that. He's waiting so that no one should perish, but all should reach repentance. All of us, God wants all of us to turn from our sin and turn to him. Turn to what Jesus did and attain salvation through that. But, see, here's that same phrasing. Here's that same wording. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief especially for those who aren't prepared. And the heavens will pass away with a roar. I want you to picture that. 
We talked about the trumpet blowing the voice of the archangel last week. With a roar, the heavens will pass away. All of the heavenly bodies will be burned up. That's the entire universe gone. And earth and the works done on it will be exposed. What is done in the dark will be brought into the light. God will come, return, and judge. And I'm going to be honest with you, church. That's a scary thought, right? The things that we do are going to be judged. But in reality, right, Paul says the same thing. See, Scripture from beginning to end is consistent. And Paul, you see him say the very same thing in the next verse in 1 Thessalonians 5. He says this, While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. Now, who receives that destruction? Who's going to receive that judgment? It's obviously going to be those who are not found in Jesus. Right? That judgment that is coming that wrath to be poured out is to be poured out on those who are taking it easy. They're saying nothing to worry about, man. There's no problems. God's not coming back. These unbelievers don't even think he's real. You could even say that there are some Christians who think like that, and we're going to talk about that in just a second. But on the other hand, in the next verse, Paul flips the script. He says, but you, us, we believers, we aren't in darkness for that day to surprise us. You are ready. You're prepared. You are fully aware of what's to come. And when he says that, I love what he says. He goes, you are not in the darkness. That day will not surprise you, for you are children of the night. I mean, of the, of the light. I'm sorry, not night. Children of the day. That's the very opposite of what I'm talking about. We are not of the night or of the darkness. He's saying we're looking forward to this. It's not going to surprise us. We know it's coming. We don't know when, but we know it's coming. And that kind of brings me to how they know. See, at this point in time, God had revealed himself through the Old Testament, through thousands of years of scripture being written. And the believers that Paul was writing to, they had the Old Testament, the first part of the Bible. 19 times in the Old Testament, the day of the Lord was talked about. 19 times they had heard about this event. And Paul is saying, you don't have to worry. This doesn't really worry us. And so I have to ask you, are you living in anxiety for this day or are you living in hopeful anticipation? Are you looking forward to God fulfilling the promises that he has made to his church or are you worried that you're gonna be on the wrong side of the ledger? If we're living in hopeful anticipation of this day, Paul is gonna walk us through this in just a second. If we are living in hopeful anticipation for this, it should motivate us to go out into the world, make disciples, grow his kingdom, seek his kingdom, learn 
who he is and draw closer to him day in and day out. That should be what drives us to show the love of God to the world. Last week, we talked about living in awe, right? Accepting God, walking in a manner according to the gospel and encouraging one another as we go. That's exactly what we should be doing as we look forward to this Day, But I love what Paul says in the very next verse. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 4, or 6 through 7, I'm sorry, he says this, let us not sleep as others do. In chapter 4, he talked about those who were asleep. He talked about those who were dead, who have passed away. He's not talking about that here. He's saying, let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. Let us be alert. Let us be looking forward to this. Let us not lose track of what is important. See, like he said time and time again, he knows God is coming back. And he says, for those who sleep, they sleep at night. That's when the thief is coming. Those who get drunk, get drunk at night. That's when the thief is coming. That's when we're not ready. We as believers have to stay ready. See, the thing is, we are getting that wait till your father comes home warning. Paul is telling us, God is coming back. And the question is, are we ready? Are we taking that warning seriously or have we lost sight of it? And this isn't intended to scare anybody, right? This isn't intended to cause you to go into a panic. This is intended to give you hope. Paul is saying, look forward to this. Don't lose sight of it. These are the promises that God has given us. It's to remind you that any hurts or struggles or failures or trials or seasons of ups and downs, all of those things are not as good as it gets because those are going to pale in comparison to how good it's going to be, especially on the other side of eternity. And the thing is, when God comes back, that's it. It's a wrap. It's done. There's no do-overs. There's no second chances. When he comes back, his judgment will be fierce. It'll be mighty. And like I said, so often we lose sight of that. I love what we read in 1 Thessalonians 4, 6. It says, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand, and we solemnly warn you. Paul says, don't lose sight of this, man. This is serious. Again, don't freak out. But God is coming back, and he's going to avenge sin. He has to. He's holy. We just sang it. He is righteous. He's a judge. And I'm going to tell you the picture that scripture paints of Christ's return. It is far greater than anything you saw in Endgame. Right? It's way more than anything that Aquaman or Iron Man or any man can do. I love what John says. John, the apostle, when he was exiled to an island, God gave him a vision of what the end looks like. 
And I'm going to tell you, church, again, this is not to scare you, but this is to show you that we have lost sight of who Jesus is, of who God is, because he is coming back. Check out what he says in Revelation 19, verses 18, uh, 11 through 16. He says, then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, the one sitting on it called Faithful and True. And he, in his righteousness, he judges and makes war. Is that the Jesus you picture? Is that the Jesus you know? Because that's the Jesus scripture reveals. His eyes are like a flame of fire and on his head are many diadems. He has a name written on him that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe, dipped in blood, and the name which he is called is the word of God. From his mouth comes a sharp sword used to strike down the nations, and he will rule them like a rod of iron. This language is insanely amazing. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God, the Almighty. See, yes, God is love. But in his holiness, he also has to judge sin. He hates the sin that separates us from him. And on his robe, on his thigh, he has a name written on it, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Picture that, church. The sky opening up, Christ returning, coming again to judge the sin of this world. See, do you realize that that's happening, that that's going to be that future event? That's what motivates us again to live for him. So I ask you, are you waiting in anticipation for this event? Are you waiting in hopeful anticipation or anxiety? Do you stand to be condemned or have you been redeemed and restored by the blood of Christ? That's a question we have to ask ourselves. Have you been sealed and guaranteed with the Holy Spirit? Or have you traded in the promises of heaven for momentary, temporary treasures here on earth? See, Paul transitions from here. He says, look, don't forget. Stay awake. Stay alert. You know this is coming, but we don't know when. And in the meantime, Paul tells us, in the very next verse, he says, don't focus, right? Don't focus on the things of this world. Don't be in the kingdom of darkness because you have been transformed and brought into the kingdom of light. 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 8 and 9 say this. But since we belong to the day, since we have been saved, let us be sober. There's that term again. Let us be alert. Let us be looking forward to this day. Having put on the breastplate of faith and love and the helmet of the hope of salvation. We have hope. Like I said, as good as it's going to be here pales in comparison to as good as it's going to be in eternity. And in Christ, we have been moved from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And Paul is actually kind of throwing you back to the beginning. Right? That's why this entire series has been called The Life of Faith, Hope, and Love. Because we as believers are called to live that way especially because we know he's coming back. 
especially because we know he is going to judge the living and the dead. And in the very next verse, he gives us the why. He says, for you have not been destined for wrath, but you have been destined to salvation, to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live in him. We weren't destined for wrath because the wrath that was supposed to be given to us, the judgment for our sin, is not going to be placed on us. It was already placed on Jesus at the cross. God already poured out his wrath for those who believe on his son. And because of his death, his substitutionary death in place of us, we are not fearing the judgment to come. But what does that mean? Is that it? Do I get to kick back? Do I not have to worry about doing anything anymore? Absolutely not. Right? At the very end of these verses, Paul gives us the same warning he gave us at the end of chapter 4. Or not warning, I'm sorry, the same instruction. He says, therefore, encourage one another. This is 1 Thessalonians 5.11. Encourage one another and build each other up just as you are doing. He has called us to live a life of faith, of hope, of love. Our faith in Christ has redeemed us, restored us. It purchased us back to a relationship with the Father where we can pray to him, where we can seek his wisdom, where we can learn about who he is and how he loves us and share it with the world. Our love is going to be shown to others in times of desperation, in times of need, even if it costs us. Because the love that we were shown cost Christ his life. And thank God he was resurrected three days later. And thank God that through faith in him, we can be saved. Our hope in the promises of God should, lay, should cause us to lay down our lives out of reverence to Christ. Again, pointing others back to him, growing his kingdom and seeking his kingdom. And that brings me to my sermon point for you guys, church. Now, this sermon point is not something that I want you to write down on a piece of paper and stuff in your Bible, and you close your Bible never to look at it again. We know that this day is coming. My sermon point for you, church, is something I want you to write on, like, the front page of your Bible. Something you're going to see on a day-in and day-out basis. If you got to stick it to a mirror, stick it to a mirror, because we are called to evaluate our lives, to check to see if we are living in a manner according to the gospel. So the question I have for you, your sermon point for today, is not something I want you to just store away and never look at again. But it's, are you living a life of faith? where you seek after God and trust God, where you've 
repented and believed in Christ as your Savior? Are you living a life of hope? Waiting for that day that he's going to return? Trusting in the promises that he's made? Are you loving God and loving others as yourself? Or are you doing the very opposite? Are you living a life of fear? See, fear is the opposite of faith. Are you worried about what the world has to say and what's going on in the world? Are you not trusting in what God has promised? Are you living a life of anxiety? Thinking about that wrath to come, Hebrews 10 says that if we do not have that sacrifice made for us, that all we have is a fearful expectation of judgment. That's Hebrews 10. Am I living a life of selfishness? If I'm not loving God and loving others, the only person that I can love is myself. Am I working so hard to control events around me that honestly I can't control? Am I working so hard to be good enough because I don't believe that what God did is good enough? See, if we are living in light of the day of the Lord, if we are living in alertness, looking forward to it, church, my prayer is that we are in that first part of the question, not the second. My prayer is that we are living a life of faith, hope, and love. Because I can tell you, church, if we aren't ready, if we aren't looking forward to that day, if we're not doing the things that God has called us to, that day of the Lord is not going to be pleasant. We're going to be in a whole lot of trouble. And the problem is, it's going to be too late. There won't be any time to do anything different. At that point, we will be on our knees. Every tongue will confess. Every knee will bow. But for those who hadn't done it before, there's nothing that they can do. So if we are living a life of faith, hope, and love, we need to go out and grow his kingdom. We need to go out and share the gospel. We need to go out and love one another because that's what God has called us to do. Let's pray. Father, we come before you today to thank you once again, to thank you for how good and gracious you have been to us. God, my prayer is that these words are more than words, but a call to action. Father, to awake a church that needs to be living for you. Lord, I pray that if there's anyone in here who doesn't know you or anyone watching at home who doesn't know you, Lord, that they come to trust you. And Father, they come to live a life of faith, hope, and love. Father, we thank you so much for your son Jesus who modeled all of these things perfectly. And it is in his most precious and holy name that we pray. Amen. Love you, church.